Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hello everyone, uh, thank you for coming to the 2020 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Tim Miller, I'm a first year MBA and it's my, uh, my pleasure to introduce our next panel continue to grow in the esports world. And so our, our panelists today, uh, we have Doug Watson, Head of Esports Insights from Riot Games, Trisha Sugita, CEO of FlyQuest, Allison Walker, Chief Commercial Officer, Chief Commercial Officer for Overactive Media, uh, and Chris Greeley, uh, Head of Esports for North America and Oceania. Uh, our panel today is moderated by Greg Kim, who uh, is the Head of CLG at Madison Square Garden Sports. The panel today will go for 45 minutes, uh, and then we'll have an additional 10 minutes for Q&A. Uh, we ask you to please submit questions through Twitter uh, using the hashtag um, shown on the screen. So with that, hand it off to you, Greg. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jess Darrell, student organizing committee for uh, the conference, as usual. Like it's, I was reflecting on it, it was five years ago, I was in kind of Tim's shoes just trying to put together the eSports panel. So time really flies, and excited for this today. I think. Um, at the conference this year, there's been a lot of talk about a lot of like relevant topics. So like we've talked about like the metaverse, blockchain, NFTs, and like not so much in terms of like esports so much this year. But at the same time, like I think we're talking in the sports industry, we're talking about a lot of things that like esports have been dealing with for for years in terms of digital audiences, in terms of how we're engaging with fans, and all these things that sports is sort of seeing coming out of the pandemic. So. Really excited for today, and I guess, Doug, I'll start with you. Um, as the lead of everything Riot's doing with data analytics and, and strategic insights, like, can you paint the picture for us a little bit of who the, who's watching esports, who the audience is, and how, like, as a game publisher, Riot sort of sees the market opportunity uh, in the digital space? Yeah, of course. So when we think about the, the fans that we're engaging with today, we're thinking about this group that has started as essentially a digital first fan that is starting to diversify and grow as we introduce more sports and we essentially have a longer life cycle within our products. So we have um, a young fan base going from those who are teenagers and that are finding themselves in their personal identity all through people who have you know, started their families and are starting to introduce esports to their children as well and creating that multi-generational fandom that we've been looking to develop within uh, the Rackings ecosystem. This audience is someone who is global in nature, and they're globally aware. They're very well connected to what's going on around the world. And they're not always, though, tied back into our game to begin with. These are individuals who are looking for essentially a community, looking for fandom, and finding it within the esports realm. And in some cases, they are coming to us because they are naturally connected to our games, that they are players first. Um, and they look to come to our sports because of education and what the game can do to help them become better at a game that they love. But in other cases, they're coming because they want entertainment. They want it to be a social experience. They want to connect with their friends and family and have this shared moment that they can be rooting for, like their favorite teams and pros. Or, just on that note, going into fandom. They, they're here because they want to support their favorite teams and pros, and they want to feel those highs. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy looking at it, again, videos after Worlds this year in China. You know, you have an LPL team win after being massive underdogs. and. The, the fandom that goes out and the social nature of it that, that showcased after the event is 
absolutely phenomenal. It's what we you know, at Riot live for. And so when we think about what the opportunity is like with these fans and what it means, we're thinking about how can we create an ecosystem that's really meaningful to them, both for if they're a player, if they're not a player, as it goes through the different life stages. How can we use um, the tools that we have at hand to be able to create that type of fandom, both within the digital realm and sometimes carrying over into the game or just into their viewing experience, as well as carry that back out into their personal lives, into to the, the real world where that fandom might come up as ways that the traditional sports world has showcased for us, um, or be coming up in new ways that are, are more meaningful to the generations that we're able to serve. But at, at Riot, like our main goal is how can we use that information that we capture about these audiences to create these experiences, and then also to tailor those experiences. Um, again, being a digital first sport company, we are able to have a lot of information about um, who these fans are, what they want, and it's our view as to, uh, as we think about this growing audience with these different types of needs and these different life stages, how can we start using that information to really curate and personalize those experiences so that sports experience is really meaningful for them? And so that's what we're, we're honing in on within Riot. I think it's a really exciting spot to be because within esports, that digital first nature gives us a lot of this advantage to be able to serve those audiences in really new and exciting ways. And so like... Trisha, you know, as CEO of FlyQuest, you're you're running one of the teams in this space, right? Like you're trying to figure out how to like optimize within the uh, like within the competitive ecosystem and against a bunch of other teams here in North America. So, I guess how do you think about like taking your cut at the audience and sort of building a foundation for FlyQuest and building a brand in esports? So, FlyQuest approach was quite unique to anything in esports, or I would say even traditional sports. Our vision is showcase greatness, and that's the belief that greatness already exists within everyone, and we want to help them find and showcase it. The reason why I lead with that is because that drives our purpose, it gives us direction, and it is our why. It's why FlyQuest decided to franchise and participate in esports, and why we're an esports organization at our very core. And we hope that this will you know, attract a lot of audience, anybody who feels the same way. And what we've done that's really unique is we've launched our Go Green initiative, which is how we decided to showcase greatness. So showcase greatness is on top. I love to do a little diagram, but it is our vision, our why. It is the first thing that we think about from the people we hired, from even the players that we recruit to the partners that we sign. Underneath was our Go Green initiative is, you know, we have to make it tangible. How do we make it fun for the audience? How do we market this? We can't just say, hey, we're about showcase greatness and follow FlyQuest. It's not... It's not that appealing. But with our Go Green initiative, we decided that we are going to be the eco-friendly team, that we care about the environment, that we're going to do fun initiatives. And what we've done are things like TreeQuest, where we planted over 10,000 trees, SeaQuest, where we raise money for the Coral Reef Alliance, and we've even done a most recent MeQuest, which is all about mental health. And why all these pillars matters is because they all roll into back into our vision of showcase greatness. So it's what you can expect from FlyQuest. And we've integrated this with our competitive uh, sport. Instead of just saying, hey, this is what our business side is doing, and separately our product of LCS and our players, they're having games where they're winning and losing. We actually integrated it so that Anytime we're doing uh, initiatives such as tree quests and planting trees, whenever we win, whenever we have takedowns within the game, or when there is an ocean drake, for those of you who are familiar with League of Legends, a, a mechanism within the game itself, we plant trees. So this way you're rooting for us, you're rooting for us to plant trees, and it all hopefully will tie back to what we represent, which is showcase greatness. But it's, it's such a great crossover, too, with what Doug's talking about in terms of understanding your audience. You know, every panel you, you may have seen here talks about, when, that are focused on audience, 
focuses on how socially conscious the, the very youngest audience is, which is really our prime audience, right? It's that like 18 to 24 year old. Uh, and it's uh, campaigns like uh, the ones that you see coming out of FlyQuest that really resonate with that fan base where they say, all right, well, I didn't pay a lot of attention to FlyQuest in the past, but they're doing good and they're doing it in an entertaining way. And uh, now they're my favorite team, or even if they're not my favorite team, I'm still following what they do on a weekly basis because I want to see what impact that's going to have and I'm going to root for them when maybe they're not playing my favorite team. You know, and it not only puts the brand in a really good spot, but it helps elevate all the teams that are around them, helps elevate the sport overall and like creates a much better connection to fans. Totally. I mean, I think it's been really exciting to sort of see what's happened with FlyQuest over the last couple of years. And I think, you know, hearing that team perspective, hearing the perspective from the game publishers, you know, I think this is where we kind of get to an interesting thing with esports where it's been years at this conference where we've been talking about, like, what can esports learn from traditional sports? How are we going to structure things? How are we going to brand things? But it almost feels like the inflection point, like, with this, these innovative ways to engage the digital audience that, like, it's time, it's a little bit at the time for the other way around, right? Like, what is it that traditional sports can learn from esports? And so, Allison, like, having coming into this from the traditional sports background and seeing esports and sort of seeing the different ways esports engage its audiences, like, you know, is, is this kind of the turnaround? Is esports the cutting edge? And, and are there things that we think traditional sports world can learn from our games and our digital products? Yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. And um, thank you all for coming. This is, uh, it's been an amazing conference. We talked about this on our prep call that uh, we continue to separate sports and esports, which is really interesting because all of the sessions the last few days, and I joined the Wise Multiplier Summit on Thursday, so for two days we've been talking about audience and engagement of audience and the metaverse and how are we going to do this and how are we going to take traditional sport into this area. And my opinion, we still continue to separate the two. This esports panel is really an audience panel. All we're going to talk about today is the fact that what we collectively do is reach Gen Z millennial audiences, which is exactly what all of our sports peers are trying to do. I'm very lucky to have worked with amateur sports, the Canadian Olympic Committee, uh, Maple Leaf Sports with our Leafs and Raptors. Doug and I have a bit of an over-under on Leafs versus Boston this year. Um, and then most recently in traditional media, Bell Media is our largest telco media company. And we were using the, the project I was working on the most in traditional media before I came and helped start Overactive Media was using set-top box and mobility data, much like AT&T would be doing, to drive and illustrate attribution for television ads. Our clients across Canada, of course, are still spending tons of money on traditional TV ads, uh, pay and spray, and they're looking for attribution. And interestingly enough, I came into the esports and gaming ecosystem and all of this data, as Doug said, is available at your fingertips. And so is it the inflection point? Uh, I think it's interesting. I get asked all the time, will esports take over sports? Uh, personally, I don't think so. I think, though, it is all one now. We're all reaching new and different audiences. We all need to understand how everybody consumes content, but certainly newer audiences consume content. And I think that's what's so exciting about this world that we all live in, uh, publishers, owners of teams, because we have, I know we'll talk more about data, but we literally have data at our fingertips and we have the ability to authentically reach audiences because we know what they're doing and they uh, believe us, tell us what we should be doing on a daily basis. Our fans are very involved in, in the decisions we make. So <clears throat> I guess really turning to you, like as someone who's, 
tasked with operating like the LCS, which is our NBA, and with an up and coming eSport in Valorant. Like, I guess, how do you think about some of these digital avenues when you're trying to build like a tangible place to play and like working with some of the biggest eSports orgs in North America to create a holistic ecosystem and product? Yeah, we've, uh, we've got a couple of different avenues that we really focus on, right? So Riot's manifesto is just being players first. So obviously all the leagues we create, we think how is this gonna be resonant with fans? And uh, that's, that's great on a, on a vision level, on a business level. It's like, how are we gonna get people to watch this and consume it and talk to their friends about it and wake up in the morning and immediately check Twitter or Reddit to see what's going on and do that again before they go to bed, right? How do you create those engagement cycles? Um, and then you know, we move on to the pro player piece on how do we make it aspirational for someone to want to be a professional League of Legends player or a professional Valorant player or commit to team fight tactics is what they're gonna spend all their time on to get to a professional level um, and making sure that there are mechanisms in place to do that uh, and then relying on our team orgs um, how are we, A, going to put them in a position uh, to support fans and support those pro players, but also be able to run a sustainable business model? Because if we can't do that, then the whole system collapses in on itself. Uh, and then you have to put that all together. And it's, uh, I mean, it's incredibly complex, uh, which makes the, makes the problem a fun one to try to solve. Uh, but there's also... You know, we, we, I don't want to jump ahead uh, in the questions that I know Greg's going to ask because I, I cheated and looked at them. But uh, we have this, like, we have all this data because we're digital first. Uh, we know generally when people are tuning in and when they're not, and we know what other interests they have that may cross over. But there's still a lot of decisions that have to go into how does all that tie together, the sort of so what of it all. Uh, and that's where we spend a, a ton of our time as we try to build these systems out, right? If we know that 25% of LCS fans are also anime fans, like what does that actually mean in execution for us? Does it mean that we should be doing uh, anime uh, references in our social media? Does it mean that we should be doing anime content? Should we be out making an anime? Or it's just like a really happy crossover. Uh, and it's an opportunity for those fans to find community inside of our community, right? I'm, I'm an LCS fan, I'm a FlyQuest fan, I'm also super big into anime, and I found a group of people who share all of those interests and we can build a really strong community. Because ultimately, uh, that's what we're trying to do for our fans, is be able to build that community because that becomes self-reinforcing. If you find, like, that's what makes us sticky. The same way that your Apple TV and your iPhone may be sticky because you bought all your content from Apple and those are the only places to consume it, so you continue to double down on buying devices and then you have the devices, so you keep buying the content. We want to create a system where if you stop playing League of Legends one day, please, please don't. And if you're not playing, you should all start because I have kids to put through college. So if you, if you hit that point where you're like, hey, I'm just, I'm just not going to play. I don't have time. I'm, I'm not that into the game anymore. You still have that community of people that you share interests with where you're still going to tune into the LCS. You're still going to watch uh, Allison's team in the LEC in Europe uh, every week, and you're going to continue to talk about it. And that ultimately is what, what fuels our ecosystem. I want to say, is, you know, as we think about that exact point, you know, what, what Chris and Alice have been touching here is that we're in the, the game of driving fandom. And fandom to us means that there's this idea of community and personal identity. And fandom is where those two things kind of really come together and allow people to have these experiences that define who they are and who they're going to communicate with. And within the esports realm, it's, it's the same type of formula as what you have in the traditional sports realm. It's just the where and the how that that changes. 
being digital first, like we have a very different set of avenues that we're able to connect and create those experiences for both a person who is, you know, growing up, uh, in my case, you know, wanting to be Larry Bird, you know, now it's like, I want to grow up and be faker. And how do I do that? Okay, well, where do I go? Where do I, how do I learn? How do I connect with it? And then who am I talking to? Is it, you know, my friends that I'm out on the, the playground with and playing basketball? Not necessarily. It might be, again, a different community uh, of players around the world that I'm connecting with. And then, again, over time, those needs change and evolve, just like a traditional sports fan will. And how we keep someone connected and how we create those meaningful experiences is really interesting. But what's powerful is the data behind it and the digital first nature allows us to really enhance the experience and curate it in a way that, that's really meaningful to them. So that, you know, if, if you're if Chris at home, still connected, but don't get to play as much, you might learn something that, that brings you back into the game, which is great. It means you're still a part of our active community. Or it might mean that you have something that you can, again, talk about with your friends over Discord. Um, the nature of our sports, you know, are, are very similar. It's just this path leads to a, a different way of being able to develop the same thing, leverage on the same type of frameworks that, you know, you find in the traditional realm. And so, like, this is actually kind of a problem we deal with with CLG, because I think, like, because esports are digital, because, like, we're playing online, and because everything's streamed online, the assumption is kind of that, like, the data's all there, we know everything about our fans, et cetera, and, like, we're super informed, and we know exactly what to do. And that's not exactly the case, right? Like, a lot of our platform, like, we're using other people's platforms for streaming, like, Twitch and YouTube, and so, like, when I'm figuring out, like, do I need to be in Valorant, or, like, what game should we be in? Where should we bring in content creators? Like, it's, it's not exactly clear and it's kind of obfuscated. So I guess starting with like Alice and Trisha, like when you guys are trying to make some of these decisions about either new titles or how to optimize the titles that you're in, like is there good data available to you and, and sort of how are you leveraging that in your decision making? So at FlyQuest, I, I tell everyone to do the eyeball check, it's what I call. So be data informed, but not data driven. I think it's really important to have a strong product before you expand or do anything. And so for us at FlyQuest, because we have our vision showcase greatness, it really makes things simpler, but not easier. So what I mean by that is all of our staff, all of our players know what to expect and what is expected of them at all times. So this comes down to our jerseys, what kind of jerseys that we're designing. We were the first team to ever have floral jerseys and uh, watercolored art on it. And initially when we launched, a lot of people were like, that is not a sports jersey. And my response was, well, what is a sports jersey? What is an esports jersey? We can do whatever we want. And also if we're going green, this is when we rebranded in 2020, let's own it. We can't just say we're going green and that we're an eco-friendly team and then we're about showcase greatness and have no action to follow. Everything that we do going forward, we have to be responsible about and we have to really be thoughtful about it. And that means that sometimes we're gonna decline a really fat check. Uh, for MeQuest, we had a lot of fast food companies come to us and we're like, we wanna sponsor you, this is amazing, we believe that. And we're like, okay, I don't think our values quite align. And honestly, if we were to partner, everything that FlyQuest stands for is now disingenuous. And so that's what I mean by it makes things simpler but not easier. To your point about when we're thinking about expansion or players that we pick up, Again, because we have this vision, because we have our Go Green initiative that, that we launched and all of the campaigns that fall underneath it, when we sign someone like Voiboy, who is our influencer, it's 
a pretty obvious connection. If you know Voiboy, he's wholesome, he's been around esports, he's like an OG player and now an influencer. He does everything good and he cares about mental awareness. But even so, we took the time to meet with him before signing. I actually met with him about three months before signing and asked him how is he gonna showcase greatness in FlyQuest? Because even though fans, you know, it's kind of like a pass, like when you think of FlyQuest, you think of wholesome. When you think of Voiboy, it's wholesome. So of course you're gonna sync up. But I asked him, how are we gonna showcase greatness together? Because FlyQuest, uh, we wanna be smart about our budget, number one, and two, we wanna make sure that it's impactful. So what we did was work with him and think about what is important, and mental health was a big thing, so that's why we launched MeQuest. We had the whole plan already ready before signing. And that's how we approach everything that we do at FlyQuest, is how does this work within the frame that we've decided to build brand equity in and showcase greatness? This is how we differentiate ourselves. And like my brilliant panels have been saying, we have a lot of data and we are global, but at the same time, while that's exciting, it also poses some challenges. Like we are one of 10 teams in LCS. So how do we differentiate ourselves? We're all kind of based in Santa Monica because that's where Riot Games is based. What does that mean? And this is why, again, everything at FlyQuest leads with showcase greatness because hopefully our greatness will go beyond what is in our competitive uh, product. Also, you know, our wins and losses and you can expect us to do social good causes. I mean, no, go ahead, Austin. I was just gonna I take a little bit of a different angle, although um, lots of respect for what FlyQuest is doing because I think you are authentically taking your, your vision and your purpose across everything you do and that's not an easy thing to do. Um, speaking specifically about data, so there's of course the team performance side and, and what franchises and games and things are gonna be in and then there's the, the business side of what we do and uh, reaching audiences. Uh, we're very focused right now on first party data because we have the ability to collect first party data, not just necessarily from what our teams are doing, but what we're doing from an adjacent standpoint in Toronto as our base for certainly our North American teams. Mad Lions in, uh, in the LAC in Spain is a slightly different scenario. We have regional Call of Duty and Overwatch teams based in Toronto. We're the only Call of Duty team in Canada. We're one of two Overwatch teams. And so if we're focused on North America, we are uh, really feel the need to focus on a strategy around how do we collect first party data and use it authentically. And we're building a performance venue in Toronto. So I'm taking us on a whole nother tangent. When I was at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, we've talked about this through the conference, we did not know in 2013, 14, 15 who was walking into Scotiabank Arena. Uh, today, we're, we're about to open a venue in a couple of years where we have an opportunity to, from the very beginning, have built out segmented profiles of who we're trying to reach, how do we engage them, how do we bring our brand partners to the table. And so that strategy is very, very important. And going back to, we are, we're young companies, we're a young company, we're, we're not four years old yet. We need to be fiscally responsible, we're in this for the long game for sure. We don't wanna be spending money foolishly, so we're going through the process of figuring out the right data strategy before we're just investing in product. But there's no doubt that a first party data strategy is extremely important for properties so that we can be smart and intelligent about how we reach our clients, how we engage our clients, as Doug and Chris said, and all of the things you're gonna do for your brand partners. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. The, the biggest challenge uh, I found, and I'm not the, I mean, Doug's here because nobody trusts me with a, a data question, uh, <laughs> but one of the biggest challenges that, that we found um, in North American esports, at least at Riot, is we have access to so much data 
um, making sure that it's actually actionable and, and can talk to each other. So if you play League of Legends, you have uh, an ID in the game and you have a summoner name. And if you uh, play Fantasy LCS, you all should download the Sleeper app. They're awesome. Uh, and you can give us your summoner name there. So I now have you in two distinct spots and I can see how often you play League of Legends. I can also see how often you log in to the Sleeper app, maybe to change around your LCS team so we can start to gauge your level of engagement, but making sure that we can take those two data sources and cross-reference them mm -hmm. to figure out who are who's most interested in fan, fantasy LCS and how uh, time in the game impacts that. Right? Building those systems, building those warehouses, making sure that you're following all the applicable privacy rules and your own privacy policy, and you're not breaching the trust of your fans who are giving you that information for one use and definitely don't want it seen uh, definitely don't want to see it used for, for a different purpose uh, that, that's not in line with their values is, is a really difficult part. So mm -hmm. like, while we have this advantage of being digital first, you can almost drown in all the data you have, and you also have the problem of sifting through it to figure out what's actually useful and what's not. Right? Someone like Doug can come back and tell us whether there is a correlation between the amount of time you spend playing League of Legends every day, week, or month, or year, and whether, whether or not there's a connection to how often you watch the LCS or how likely you are to churn out of one or the other. Um, so it's, it's a, a big undertaking sort of once you're able to jump into it. Yeah, I mean, sort of dwelling on that a bit, right? Like you guys know everything to like what ranks everyone are, where they're playing from to some extent, and like granted there's a lot of trying to connect this to the esports audience and the people who are actually watching, but in terms of like taking that data set and leveraging it into the success of League of Legends as an esport or like growing Valorant as an up and coming esport, like how do you how do you guys go about making that translation and actually like turning it into something that's successful as a product? And I know this is cheating a little bit because I used to help on that front a little bit, but <laughs> I guess mm -hmm. Doug, starting with you, like you know, how do we make that connection and how do we make it actionable? Yeah. Uh, so when I think about how we're going to leverage the data to develop our sports, um, actually I'm going to build off what Trisha said. You know, we start with a framework first. It's so like, what are we trying to do and what are we trying to accomplish here? And then we use that data to help first inform the strategy level of what we're doing. We want to understand what the fans' needs are, what their behaviors are, uh, what is evolving over time in terms of, of what who our fan is, um, and that that you know what Chris was talking about connects into what are they doing around the sport, what are they doing within the sport, what are they doing in the game, um, and we use that to create the signals and the hypotheses around like what do our fans need today, and what can we be doing to service them better. Um, at that point, you know, again, we are data-informed, not data-driven. We want to make sure that we have people that understand that and can empathize with fans and can be creative and innovative. What we don't want to just do is to, to give fans like a direct response. What we want to think about is, okay, this is what their expectations, this is the pain point. How can we elevate the fan experience to be better than that for them? And that's where you know, Riot really focuses on trying to over-serve our players and to use the data to give us a starting point in the strategy and then to deliver. The second part of this, though, is, is much more in the micro. When we start thinking about, okay, we have a number of different diverse audiences that are spread across the world that have different needs based upon where they are within their uh, play history and where they are within their sports life cycle. How can we make it so that the right types of content come up to them? How can we make it so that the experience that they want is best for them? You know, within the, the league ecosystem, there's multiple leagues. like. Uh, at multiple levels, coming up into a number of international competitions, and that's just one esport. It's just one game title. 
And so for us, like, we need to be really specific because there's so much noise and information out there that you can almost drown as a fan, not just on the internal side, but we're looking at the fan experiences. So for us, it's how can we, one, take that data, define like, what are the best experiences, and two, use that to help narrow, um, navigate a fan's experience into the right touch points that help them find the teams that they want to connect with or the events that they want to go to or even find people that they want to play with in order to share that experience and build the community that we hope to uh, achieve. Yeah, and then from a, a product perspective, we're, uh, a lot of what we're doing is going out and just testing things. Um, so we know, you know, one of the ways, um, or the way that we built League of Legends eSport all across the world was we waited for there to be a community demand for it. So there were third parties who were running tournaments, uh, and then we eventually had the opportunity uh, to bring those together into formal leagues, uh, and then eventually franchise those leagues, right, continue to build them. It's the, the same way we've looked at Valorant. We uh, opened up the ecosystem, a bunch of third parties started throwing tournaments, and then we were able to build formal structure uh, over the top of that. So for us, you know, with, when you don't have the data in the beginning because you're just a game is out there, right? You first, first and foremost for an eSport, if the game isn't popular, the eSport's probably going to die or never get off the ground. So we've been really blessed at, at Riot that we have some very popular games. Uh, and once the games are out there and you can start to see community reaction and you see that these tournaments are starting to build, you have the opportunity to both start to extract some data from that uh, and then build on top of it. And we have years of trial and error for things that have worked. We have uh, folks who have run esports and other games in titles that are similar. We certainly, for Valorant, have looked at CSGO and Overwatch and Call of Duty um, and you know, sort of all the other shooter games that are out there that have uh, an, an esport component and figured out, all right, well, these are the things that worked really well. Here's what the, the first-person shooter community is looking for, at least in a general basis. Because uh, at the end of the day, if you go out and you create uh, an experience for them that's not authentic, that they're not expecting, that breaks the mold in a way that's just not resonant with them, like ultimately they reject it and your eSport dies. Uh, so we began to, to build off of that. But those are, you know, you have, to, you have to jump in. I spend too much time on Twitter and Reddit uh, usually reading, you know, nobody, nobody's, you find this on like Yelp too, right? No one usually goes to post a, a like fine to good review of a place unless they had you know, some amazing experience that they just had to tell someone about or they're like trying to farm points on the system for lots and lots of reviews. But man, when people are upset about something or they want to complain or they want to make fun, they're, they're out there with the loudest megaphone they can find. So you spend all this time reading as much of the vocal minority um, feedback that you can possibly ingest without crying or like, needing therapy from it for all the mean things that people say about the work that you or your team are doing. But a lot, out of that comes really good pieces. Like we have a, an initiative right now called Champions Q in, in North America. It's like this private server for our professional players uh, to go on where they can get higher level of competition and they're streaming it and it's, it's been really well received and I was scanning Reddit the other night and saw a post where someone's like, hey, how come they're not showing highlights from Champions Q on broadcast every weekend and how come they're not showing us the leaderboard? And I said, that's a great question, we really should be and like took a screenshot of it and sent it to our broadcast team and if you happen to tune into the LCS today, which I'm sure you're all gonna do as soon as the conference is over today, uh, you'll see that we have those things reflected in broadcast and it's a great opportunity, something you definitely find across esports that uh, there is an opportunity for like one fan with one good idea to have that good idea realized uh, in a meaningful and tangible way in a matter of hours or days. Um, so you know we 
mine the community for that as well as the first party data we're able to get and all the other sort of anecdotal things we can pull together. But I think in terms of like sort of turning back to audience, I think this is where our roads begin to diverge a little bit because with, with someone like Riot, like the there's an extent of you know, for a game publisher, if you build it, they will come, right? Like League of Legends is inherently like an, a great game that I've spent way too much time on. Valorant's the same thing. Um, but I guess for the team side, and I guess Allison, I'll start with you, just thinking about how the, when the rubber hits the road, like, you know, we have some of these insights, we're collecting first party data, we kind of know what the general profile of the esports audience is. How do you get people to care about your brand and engaging with your content and like, you know, what are some of the strategies there? Does, does being geolocated in Toronto help? Like, how do you start mm -hmm. to think about turning it into like your piece of the pie? Yeah, great questions. And I can't make jokes like Chris because I've got teams based in Toronto and teams in Europe and everybody in here might be in the States. And so I, I can't say you're going to go home and cheer for Ultra. Although if you are a Call of Duty fan, please cheer for Ultra today. Thank you. That'd be very helpful. Um, it's a great question. So uh, we just have a really interesting dichotomy of teams uh, in the LAC in Europe. Of course, it's it's based in Berlin. We have a an academy team in the Superliga based in Madrid, and then we've got a CS:GO team that was part of the Flashpoint ecosystem. And so those are all um, less regionalized. Um, and of course, with Activision Blizzard, we took a position in Toronto, as I mentioned before. So they're, they're different considerations. So I'll talk about North America first. We, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity, and there's no doubt that it, it follows traditional sport and what happens in certainly North America and the NBA and the NHL and NFL, where we have an opportunity to take part in the enterprise growth of the actual game and of what's happening with Call of Duty and Overwatch. And we get to grow and monetize and build fan bases in Canada. And we take that responsibility seriously it comes with opportunity and challenge. So we're the only Call of Duty team in Canada, and we're the only Call of Duty team in Canada. So uh, we challenge Activism Bl Activision Blizzard all the time, particularly from a data standpoint, of course, making sure we're compliant with everything, because there are, there are millions of Call of Duty players in Canada. Um, there are a, a number, not as many, that watch the Call of Duty League, and then there's our brand, which is the only brand in Canada, and we need to continue to convert all of those things. Uh, more, most importantly, to convert Call of Duty players to Call of Duty League viewers. That's the first challenge that is partly ours, but it's certainly one that Activision Blizzard faces, and they're a global league, and so they're focused everywhere, and so from a data standpoint, um, we certainly are, we're about to host a major in June in Toronto, it's going to be great, it's at the former Maple Leaf Gardens, so we're tied right into our friends at the Leafs. We, you can imagine how powerful the data is of who's actually playing, um, and then on top of that, I was going to mention this before, when we first started these teams, the segmentation data was so important because we, we have a sense of who the core is, the core Call of Duty fan, the core Overwatch team in North America. Um, but we're also very interested in reaching, you talked about anime on the Overwatch side, on the Call of Duty side. There's no doubt the overlap with, I'd say, the Raptors is highly penetrated with the Toronto Maple Leafs is, is quite different because hockey and, and Call of Duty, interestingly enough, all the players play. Mitch Marner's a, a Toronto Maple Leaf who's an investor of ours because he plays at night with Methods, who was on our team for years. And so really interesting overlaps. Um, but uh, the regional model certainly has its opportunities and its challenges because we are, frankly, building out those Overwatch and Call of Duty audiences in Canada, no, no doubt about it. In League of Legends in Europe, um, we took a, a, an interesting, Chris and I were talking about this, our approach was we acquired a group in Spain called Mad Lions who were in esports. 
and we chose to create a bit of a regional focus because the research told us that Spanish fandom is over-indexed, particularly for League of Legends, but esports as a whole. And we definitely have a Spanish brand that is our LEC and Superliga brand, and so that has interesting challenges too because we actually want to be pan-European. So we've been successful in spite of ourselves. Our team in Spain has done a terrific job of building brand and brand partnerships and, and helping to promote the game in, in Spain, although, to be fair, Riot's done a very good job there too. And we want to be more pan-European, and so we want, we want dual strategies, which leads us to the conversation about Valorant, which is, are we, do we want to be in a game like Valorant? Of course. Uh, we're very excited about what the future looks like. Does it make sense to be pursuing a strategy in Spain, in Europe, in Canada, in North America? And it's a really interesting challenge that isn't, it isn't unique to esports. It really is a, is a sports and entertainment challenge that we will face. And so to answer your question, we do use data, different types of data all the time to really think about the decisions we make and um, both, both um, geographic and regional uh, scenarios have opportunities and challenges mm -hmm. with both. So kind of on the other side of that question, like Trisha, like, you know, FlyQuest has a link to the Milwaukee Bucks through the Edens, and obviously with CLG, like, you know, we have a link, direct link to the Garden, but it's not really been something that, at least I, I know we have thought about historically, and for you guys, you know, it hasn't really appeared too much on, on like, in social media or anything aside from, like, a tweet or two around playoffs. So, I mean, do you guys ever think about that, or are you totally fo focused on... Uh, the brand and just the broader digital audience instead of tying to regional roots? Yeah, it's really interesting. So different esports titles, different franchises, some have geolocation, some don't. And League of Legends, at least our LCS uh, title that we compete in, it doesn't have geolocation. So that's why for us, it was so important. And honestly, even if we had geolocation, we would still start out with our vision just because it gives us purpose, direction, and all that fun stuff I shared. But it was especially important because we don't have geolocation is how do we truly differentiate ourselves? And historically teams, and I, I've been doing sales for decades now, uh, and I'm guilty of this, is we usually pitch and say, Here, here's our differentiators. And we're actually really talking about just product differentiation, which is, which while it has its merit, it's not the true differentiator in your brand. And that's why for us, when we led with Showcase Greatness and then the Go Green Initiative kicked it off with the Quest and we do a quest every single split, it's really important for us to learn, like data is really important, where our opportunities are. So for example, we have an Argentinian player and we now have a player from France. And what we've done with that was facilitate ways to engage those audiences. Because when Jose Diodo came at FlyQuest, we had a ton of Tuki fans, and if you guys are Jose Diodo fans, you know what that means, and you see it on twi Twitch, Twitch, what is Twitch? Twitch on the, on the chat, and people are going really crazy, and we thought, you know what, if we're FlyQuest and we're always supposed to be wholesome, that's a key word I want you guys to take away and be inclusive, what can we do for our community? Because we want to be the community first brand out of all the LCS teams. And so we launched a LCS co-stream that was in Spanish, and I think we're the first Spanish co yeah, co-stream to do this in all of LCS and engage with the audience to give back to them. And our messaging was, we really appreciate all of your support for Jose. We hope that we become a home for you guys. And so this is our thanks to you. You know, we're doing this just for you. And now we're doing a lot of French content for Takui where he is quizzing us and uh, 
really putting our players on the spot for quizzes when it comes to geography or anything else that they should know. And it's been really fun. And I, I think that's how we approach it, is where we see the opportunities, we look where we have theories, of course, and sometimes we limit tests, and sometimes we're not successful, sometimes we are. But this gives us a guide, and thankfully for us, we have been successful, and uh, you know, it's, it's really fun. I don't know how else to say it. Like it you should have fun and take challenges, and just like somebody said, like, that's not an eSport jersey, or you know, this is the way we've done things. I'm so tired of hearing that. Precedent doesn't mean it's the best way. So one thing that teams do that I want to call, I think that's really important, is that usually people always do like a match graphic after, a post-game match graphic of like victory and loss. And one thing that I thought was really silly is like, why are you putting your social like Twitter as a billboard of just showing loss after loss after loss? Like that's something you can't control. That makes no sense. So that's something you'll never see at FlyQuest. Instead, we lean into it, we have fun, we message it. And literally just this past weekend, because we had an O3 weekend, uh, our social team was like, I don't want to post because these toasts don't get good engagement. Nobody likes it. And I'm like, no, it's actually how you're presenting the product. If you say, oh, tough, we lost 03, who's going to like that? Like, that's not fun for anyone. So you have to lean in, find other ways, give hope, especially because that's what people expect of FlyQuest. So set that expectation and have fun with the data and go ham. <laughs> to me, it all comes back down to either finding culture or purpose yep. that you can bring a community together around. And I think like FlyQuest is a great example of this. And it's also the thing you see in traditional sports, right? You know, traditionally what you have is regionality being a, a core component of it. It's like we are a we are Boston, like you know, we have the Bruins, we have the Patriots, we have a, all these great teams that keep winning. Um, and we're able to use that as a really rallying cry that kind of defines us and that you can build fandom around. In esports, that's not necessarily the case. It's, a, again, digital-first audience, not geolocated, and you need to find the identity. And when we from Riot looked at this a couple of years ago and tried to figure out what it was, we actually didn't look at traditional sports for, for a lot of our inspiration. We looked at what's going on in, in K-pop, what's going on in uh, social media and for influencers, what's going on in all these different places to understand what, how people connect to a brand and build that identity. And one of the examples that we always kind of point back to is um, Harry Potter, actually, and Hogwarts houses. If anyone's ever read the books, you know, you can look at that and say, I am of this house. And you identify with it because there's a culture and a set of values and principles that you're able to center yourself around. And for the teams that have made these brands, again, that aren't necessarily always about winning, but are about these different purposes, they're able to look at these different values and create a core around them. And then from there, grow outwards to find the individuals that are next closely connected to it, that can find purpose. And through the data, like there's, again, the, the element of strategy where you can help to identify and understand where that uh, right audience is for you. And again, like you know, talking about Mad Lions in Spain and like how we can connect there is great. But then there's also, you know, how can you then take that next step? And I think that's where some of the data is going to be really interesting going forward. Geolocation is a, a really uh, divisive topic, too, because you find some folks that say, like, hey, uh, I'm just getting into esports. I'm a New York fan, so I'll counteract all of Doug's Boston. Um, I don't know what LCS team to follow because there's no New York team. So it's not inclusive. It's not giving me a natural team to root for. And on the other side, and from a team perspective, we hear uh, if we had a local affinity, we could unlock local sponsorship dollars. If we were New York's team, we could go to local businesses in New York or things that were regional in the area, and that's a lot of money. 
we're leaving on the table. On the other side, we hear, I don't want to be tied to one region. It's, it excludes people, right? If all of a sudden I'm the LA team, what happens to my fans in France? Uh, we have LCS brands that when we've sold digital merchandise in the game, will uh, outsell will go to will outsell in Europe a bunch of the European teams, probably never your team, um, or will outsell some teams in Korea at the very, sort of very bottom of the of the list. So there's our owners have told us uh, pretty consistently that they want to be global brands. Uh, they don't want to be linked to any one territory or region. They want the ability to activate fans all over the world because the commonality of those fans is not we're all in LA, we're all in New York, it's we're all fans of, of this team and we're all fans of, of a vision um, and we want to pull together this global fandom uh, rather than, than focusing on those regional pieces. So I think that kind of brings it back sort of towards the top where like it, this is kind of the question we want to ask. Like, you know, we're doing all these things with a digital audience. We want to try to reach global instead of local and, and sort of broach all these traditional models that um, brick and mortar sports, stick and ball sports, however you want to call them, have established over the years. So I guess getting to the crux of it, and I guess I'll start with Doug, like Worlds is in, in North America this year, right? We're going we're gonna to have it at Hulu Theater in New York. It's going to be in the Chase Center. But, you know, I, I think eyes are going to be on esports. And, you know, if you think about a, a thing like Worlds or, or just our sport in general, Sort of what's your takeaway for the traditional sports world? What do you think you know, people should be looking for? What should they be trying to you know, take away from the whole experience? Yeah, I think there's three kind of key components that I would say to look for when, when Worlds comes to the Americas this year. So I'd say first is, um, how does the fan experience that comes to life include more than just the sport at this point? How does it include the, the music, the entertainment, the other factors that you know, Chris is pointing back to as we think about what fans are looking for in terms of like that immersive uh, community and experience from an entertainment product. Two is how does it manifest both in person and digitally? Again, being a, a digital first product means that there's different avenues that are priorities for our fans, especially for those around the world that aren't necessarily here to be able to attend the event, but still feel as though it's something that's really close to them. And then lastly, it's how do some of the brands that are again international, how do they actually create a connection with an American-based audience. Again, like, you know, we're always talking about taking brands here in the US and branching them out into other parts of the world. The same thing happens when we're looking at our teams from the LPL, uh, the LEC here, and then LCK. We want to make it so that those brands can find ways to connect through these events, both in showcasing their players and their talent, but also like who they are and what their purpose is. So those would be three of the top things I would look at this year at the world's coming. As Allison, like Mad Lions is a regular, has been a regular at Worlds for some time. So, you know, even, you know, thinking about Mad Lions or even just thinking about what you've encountered more broadly coming into esports, like, do you agree? Are there other things that you sort of see in the same vein? Absolutely. And I just want to build on Doug for a minute. So, for us, and a little bit of what Chris said, it's interesting. It depends on the position. And in Canada, we see this quite a bit. We have one baseball team. We have one basketball team. We've got the Blue Jays. We've got the Raptors. And so the, the regional versus global question is slightly different. If, we, if there are multiple teams, it would be a different story. But when you are representing Canada, it's very beneficial for us to be able to sell against Canada to Bell, the largest telco. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we're extraordinarily excited about semifinals coming to Toronto. Uh, not because it has personal gain for us as an organization necessarily, unless our team is in it, of course, but 
uh, it's a bit of a tall order, but, um, but because a rising tide lifts all boats, because it's really when we talk about traditional sports versus esports, it's not about the sports or the esport or the gamers coming together. It's actually about the professionals involved and my peers who don't understand esports or say they don't understand esports. And so it's actually, we talk a lot about the intersection of gaming, esports, lifestyle, music, everything Doug said. Uh, it's an important, this will be an important inflection point. Um, League of Legends was here years ago, but I think we've come a long way. And so we will use that opportunity to continue to demonstrate all of the activations that are going to happen to continue to demonstrate what being an esports organization is, which is really an organization that speaks to a younger dem demographic of fans. Uh, and, and we'll certainly make sure that we're showcasing all that, that happens at the event. I'll just add that the most interesting thing, we've always been very bullish, particularly with our Activision Blizzard franchises because we travel in original. We're very bullish on live events. We, I do not believe that you can build proper community without having both online, digital, metaverse, and live. I, we're still humans. We, our fans ask for it all the time. We're very excited about bringing our fans together in a physical space in addition to digital spaces. And so it's a huge part of our strategy. It's a huge part of why sponsors buy into what we're doing because they want it all. They want a little bit of everything and they, and they want to reach Canadian audiences, which is why that regional piece works there for us. So um, I, we're, we're excited about the event. Um, to me, it all is coming together. We've got Raptors Uprising as the NBA 2K team that's now going to be practicing in our facility, which is just a nice turn of events because obviously in Toronto, MLSE is certainly the biggest org with TFC and, and the Leafs and the Raptors. And so all of a sudden you've got Raptors Uprising coming to play in, in a facility that's endemic to, to esports. And so that's going to be a fun couple, uh, couple weeks ahead of us. So it's all blending to me and, and this notion as I started with that it's sports or it's esports. I really think the more we all just continue to talk about reaching audiences, engaging audiences, building communities, the better we're all going to be. For sure. I guess, Trisha, with you, like, you know, when you're talking to Ryan and Wes Edens about what to take back to the Bucks or like, you know, when, uh, when I'm speaking to my bosses back in New York, like, what should we be, what should be, what should we be telling them to take away from esports in your mind? My eyebrows went up. Uh, <laughs> I think I couldn't agree more with what Alice is. Allison is saying, we are in the business of building an audience, and that's all we're doing. We just happen to have, you know, unique industries that we're in, but we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to target audience, build that, build a community, sell against that, and a lot of fun, creative things. And more importantly, we are trying to make sure that the lifetime of the fan is extensive, right? We want to make sure that our business is scalable. We want to make sure that you are a fan of FlyQuest, not just because we won this weekend, uh, or even won a final, or even went to Worlds, we want you to be a fan through thick and thin. And winning is really nice, and it helps everything, but in reality, there can only be one winner. So to build your business against solely winning is really scary. <laughs> so that's why we have other levers, hopefully, that you'll support and that will resonate with you, and that's something that we've been really unique, I think, with the books in particular. So again, geolocation is important. I am not downplaying that whatsoever. I'm gonna say something that's gonna make you guys maybe not like FlyQuest, especially where I am, but I am born and raised in LA, so I'm a Lakers fan. Uh, and <laughs> I hear some people, but hopefully no judgment there. And it's really important, right? I'm a fan of the Lakers just because I'm, I grew up there and Kobe and a lot of other things. But again, 
because we don't have the luxury of having geolocation, there's good and bad. Um, it's really important to look at it as remembering we're just trying to build an audience. We have many opportunities here through our players, that's one product, through our competition, but also other IP we're trying to build. Like every time we do a new quest, we always make a mascot that's really cute uh, and aligns with the tree quest or the sea quest. Every time we do that, there's always a charitable cause that we're doing, a social cause. We're always inclusive. We always have the most unique designs that has a certain uh, look and feel for everything we do. Our content is always wholesome. You have a silly CEO, stuff like that you can expect. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's our approach. And I think learning can go both ways. But again, I, I see them one and the same. Like we're all just trying to build an audience. And so, Greeley, I'll end with you before we get to questions. You know, you have a lot of traditional sports stakeholders in the league. Like, how do you think about advising them to sort of translate what they're doing in League of Legends back to their businesses? Yeah, I think it's um, it's been a really great two-way street around fan engagement um, and hearing from our conventional sport owners the things that they value. And I, I think that we've now grown to the point where we can start to hand uh, sort of our lessons back for them, them to internalize. And you know, I think the biggest one for for us, like the very early lesson, was how little crossover we found between their conventional sport fans and their esport fans. You know, we had in our very first season, we had a team that was owned uh, by the Houston Rockets, actually when Daryl was still there, uh, and they were playing the team that was owned by the Golden State Warriors on a particular uh, weekend, and we lined that up with their game in the NBA, and we lined up the time so that it would, it would finish right before the NBA game started, and we talked to the NBA team so that they could put it up on the Jumbotron and talk about the result, and like, turned out no one cared. Uh, the esports fans didn't care about the tie into basketball, the basketball fans didn't care about League of Legends, uh, and it was a good lesson for us on like the things that were resonant and the things that weren't. But you know, I, I think the biggest share that we can have back is at this point data uh, and helping folks understand what our, what, who our audience is, especially because it tends to be so much younger uh, than conventional sports fans and tends to be an audience that has tuned out of conventional sports and can continue to uh, provide those conventional sport owners sort of with a route to continue to talk to fans that may not be engaging with their, their primary conventional sport product. Sweet. So we have about like four or five minutes left for questions, and you know, given that this is the only esports panel, I think we have a pretty wide array. So um, I'll start with one that doesn't really have much to do with what we've been talking about yet today. Like, how how do you all think about uh, increasing the amount of diversity in women in competitive gaming, either as competitors or leaders such as yourselves? Like, how do you think about expanding that in our space and free for anyone to take that to start? I mean, as the yeah. Not really the primary candidate for it, <laughs> sitting next to two extremely successful women in esports. But uh, we're running uh, programs at, at at Riot specifically that's meant to to hopefully open up that ecosystem. So we have a program in Valorant called Valorant Game Changers, which is a, a women's focused initiative uh, where we're building <clears throat> pardon me building competition. We're doing the same thing on the League of Legends side in North America with LCS Game Changers. We found a Game Changers brand that we liked and we stuck with it. Uh, but it's also offering those opportunities and it's really building out a safe space where women can play and compete against other women without some of the um, community pressure that, that a lot of women competitors have found when they've tried to jump directly on a, to a professional stage. And we're trying to build that up incrementally with ultimately the goal being that we don't need those programs because women are so well integrated into the League of Legends esports scene and the professional Valorant scene. Uh, we're just not there yet, but those are, those are the introductory steps we're taking. 
That's great. Um, I'll add, I think there are two aspects to this. One is the, the, those that actually play, those, the gamers, the, the pros, and then everybody else involved in the ecosystem, which we like to call the team behind the team, which is equally important. In my mind, I spend 24-7 thinking about esports. And so where I think we're doing a very good job is diversity on the business side and, and generally on the support side of esports women in executive positions, women in leadership positions, and um, diversity of thought uh, with everything we do. Where uh, we talk all the time and haven't um, shown as much action is, is whether we want, we have female influencers. Fran is a great example in Overwatch, she's amazing. She really is part of our strategy to engage, to engage, uh, or has been, I should say, um, to engage our fans. Uh, in terms of players, it's the interesting debate we've been having recently, and I know you guys have a Valorant uh, red team, and um, is do you, do we need a full roster of a female team? Or are we really just trying to integrate women and, and support them and you know, help them to be on teams, whether they're female teams or male teams? Um, and, and I'll just, we haven't figured that out. Uh, we certainly talk about it and we are certainly focused on helping to advance women in gaming as a whole. Trisha and I just had a conversation um, led by the really interesting Malcolm Gladwell uh, conversation this morning, transgender athletes, is the data would be very interesting to understand, and this is an area that I do not have any data to back up, but um, because esports uh, is less, it's not, not physically demanding, but certainly different than some traditional sports where it's about speed and height and strength. Is there an advantage if you are a cisgendered male versus a cisgendered female? And I think it's really interesting, and I'd, I'd love to understand that what the reasons are that a lot of the pros, certainly in the games that we play, are male uh, versus female. And is it, is it is it physical? Is it based on the fact that it, there is no secret to the fact that it's been harder for women in those online communities to advance? A lot self-select themselves out because of toxicity, et cetera. And, I think that's a really interesting area to try and understand a little bit better what are the reasons that you always need to be filling pipeline, whether it's player pipeline or sales pipeline. Why are we not converting more? And I don't think we know the answers, but it's a really interesting question. So we're still trying to figure out what we want to do in terms of the gaming side, uh, but certainly I think we're ahead of the curve from a female and diversity perspective within our organization. Sure. Right at the buzzer. Nice. <laughs> yeah. um, I think we're just about out of time, but I want to squeeze in one more quickly because like, I think it's a really good question. Like, you know, Riot released Arcane this fall, fall I, guess, I think earlier this year, and like that was a hit show on Netflix. You know, I think, you know, anyone who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's pretty awesome. Like, that sort of to me is like starting to cross blend over like cultural phenomenon with esports. So I, I guess like starting with Doug, like really quickly, like was there any data that was sort of useful there and and did, do you see any like after effects of arcane and, and cultural phenomena that are coming out of these pub game publishers affecting esports? Yeah, so on the data front, we're still processing a lot of it because there's a lot of different inputs and views that we're looking to get here. But in general, when we think about arcane as part of our, our overall Riot ecosystem, we're thinking about the multiple ways that, again, a fan going through different life stages can connect with the Riot IP and have a meaningful, again, experience. And so in some cases, that's the sport. In some cases, that's a game. In some cases, that's shows like Arcane. It's also a great way for somebody to become introduced and understand what's going on in a very different way um, so that when they do come over to the sport, like there is something that's naturally um, 
natural for them to connect to. And so there's still a lot that we want to learn in that realm, but the idea that we can create and again have a community that continue comes back and build that audience, as Trisha was saying, like is, is important to us. For sure. Awesome. Well, thanks to our panelists for all your time today. Thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, we'll see you around later next year. Thanks. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.